All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another episode of the Boca Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Holritz, and uh, it's good to be here with you today. It's good to hang out on what is a bit of a cloudy Friday where I'm at currently. If those of you who are listening to the audio version didn't know this, we're actually live streaming. So this is actually a video live stream. Almost all of our Boca Podcast episodes going forward will be live stream on video at facebook.com slash Boca Podcast. So if you hear visual references, you'll know that we're looking at something on screen. But come join us, hang out with us on the live stream at some point. We'd love to have you. If you go to facebook.com slash Boca Podcast, you can see the replays there. If you follow us on Instagram, at Boca Podcast. You can also keep up to date with the latest schedule for the live streams. And uh, we'd love to have you join us. Come hang out, ask questions, make comments, throw your own thoughts in the ring. Uh, would love to have you hang out. And for those of you that are watching live, please also feel free to do the exact same thing. We'd love for this to be a, uh, a group conversation, if you will. One other note here before we get started, before I introduce my guest, uh, I've been mentioning as of late the significance of giving back. Uh, our friend and former podcast guest, Sean Lee, highlighted the importance of this some time ago, and it really hit me. And you know, I thought, you know, I, I want to do more. And I've begun doing more myself. And, and I also want to encourage our listeners, our community, to consider figuring out some way to give back, whether it's to a local organization or a much bigger, say, national or international organization or charity. I'm going to highlight here Charity Water, which is an organization that I've been giving to now for some time. And uh, you can see here, charitywater.org. This is, you can actually give $40 and that will get somebody clean drinking water. And I don't know, there's so many different organizations that we can give to, charities that we can give to, but at the, at the root level, if we don't have clean drinking water, what else can we do, right? So that's why I'm giving to this particular organization, but I only bring it up just to highlight the importance of giving to an organization. And I would encourage you to do just that. I'm going to pop up a screenshot before every podcast episode. Now I am donating to charity water. I'm just popping that up on the screen again, not to, to somehow um, boast or show off or brag or anything of the sort, uh, just to encourage everybody because it's actually not a lot of money, 40 bucks. It's not a ton of money in the scheme of things, but it can actually make an impact. And on that note, I would encourage everybody, even if it's in a small way to look for opportunities to give back charitywater.org. Uh, these kind of introductions about Charity Water, I won't be spending as much time as uh, as we continue to do this, but I wanted to make sure that everybody listening uh, is getting caught up on this effort. I would encourage you to find an organization. We do the same thing at Photographer's Edit. We've been involved in giving to Charity Water through Photographer's Edit. We're going to do even more going forward, and I just want to encourage everybody to do that. Okay, enough of me rambling on and talking too much. I want to introduce our guest today. Kelly White. Kelly is here with us, um, I, I guess we could say virtually, uh, here with us from Indy. Thank you, Kelly, for coming and hanging out with me today, making time for all of us. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be on the podcast, and uh, I've been a longtime listener, so it's kind of fun. Well, it's good to have you here. We're actually going to get into a podcast topic today, which you know we've done almost 500 episodes now. Believe it or not, we've not spent a ton of time on the topic of video. And I don't know if you remember this. How long have you been in the industry, Kelly? So I have, well, I was kind of dabbling um, before moving back to Indianapolis, but I started my business in uh, 2017. 2017. Okay. So I would say it may have been around then, maybe a little bit before 2015 or thereabouts, there was this trend that popped up and it, it 
kind of came and went really quickly, but the, the idea of shoot, being a hybrid shooter became popular for a hot second. And that notion was talked about a decent amount in the industry and it just kind of died off. What we're going to actually talk about today isn't just simply, you know, throwing a clip in here and there, but truly adding video to a photographer's business model as an opportunity to generate additional income to build a business. And um, we really appreciate you being willing to come and give some insight on that. So we're going to get to those or to that conversation here in just a little bit. We normally start off the conversation with a question about brand position. And I'd love to get your take on your brand position, your unique value proposition there in the indie market. Yeah, so I, um, you know, thought about this kind of long and hard before hopping on here. But for me, it's really trying to tell authentic stories for families, couples and brands through visual content, both photography and video. Um, Here in Indianapolis, and I know throughout the rest of the country, we have so many talented photographers. And I think that being able to set myself apart by offering both photo and video is something that makes me unique and adds additional value to my brand and my business. So is that something that you communicate up front? In fact, I want to share really quickly here your... Oh, I accidentally muted us here. Uh, I wanted to share your website here. So I'm on the homepage of your website. And for everybody listening in, it's kellywhitephotography.com, K-E-L-L-I, whitephotography.com. Is this something that you communicate to your clients on the homepage of your of your site just right off the bat or something maybe in your Instagram page? How do you immediately communicate to them that, hey, video is an option here as well? Yeah, so I in the beginning when I was first dabbling, it's... It's a process such as, you know, anything is. But when I just recently um, updated my branding, I did add photos and films underneath my name so that people right off the bat know that I'm not just offering photography, that I do have that um, video side. And as you said, I feel like for me so often when I think of a hybrid photographer, I think of someone who shoots actual film, like rolls of film. Um, But, you know, for me, the hybrid is video and photography. And um, I have tried to integrate that more on my website, social media, you know, there's just so many opportunities. Like I love what you guys are doing with putting this content on YouTube, not only as a podcast, but as a video option. And, you know, every day there's something new, some new space you can add video. So as much as I am in the video space, it's something I'm constantly learning and trying to find new ways to share that content and really set myself apart with it. I popped you, you mentioned social media. I popped your Instagram handle up here on screen for those of you who are watching the live stream, but it's Kelly, just like the website, K-E-L-L-I white photography on Instagram. I'm jumping over here to your Instagram page. Beautiful, beautiful imagery here. And as as you're incorporating video more, are you going to be adding video to the Instagram page as well? How, How do you work that into Instagram? Yeah, it's, you know, it's been one of those that it has been kind of a learning curve. Um, But I do have some content over on Reels, which I am trying to be better about. And I have been using Canva to create Reels that share my video content. So if you look at the Reels on my Instagram page, I also share stuff over on IGTV and then in Stories. Um, A lot of times I shy away from, I think, putting it necessarily in the feed just because the feed seems to be more cohesive, I think, with imagery. But I do love how they've given you the ability with Reels to add a static image of your choosing and then add in the video content if you want to. So have been playing around with that a little bit and uh, just need to continue to do it because it's been so fun to see how Reels has taken off and 
um, just all the tools that are constantly evolving. But yeah, video is one of those that I feel like you can never share it enough. There's so many opportunities to have it out there. I've been experiencing been experimenting with Pinterest. Um, they have like Pinterest stories or story pins and also um, some video pins that I've done. So those tend to do really well over there. So it's just a fun, um, as much as video has been around for a while, I feel like on the social front, it has a bit of a like new frontier feel to it. Well, at least I think that's the case with uh, photographers and the way photographers are presenting their brands, right? I mean, you mentioned Reels, IGTV prior to that. I mean, these have been two tools built at Instagram that photographers have begun to leverage in the last couple of years or so. And so in some ways, I guess in that sense, it's relatively new. Instagram's been around since, what, 2010 now? Is, Is that right? Maybe even a little bit longer? Um, so certainly we've, this is relatively fresh, but yeah, learning how to incorporate that certainly important, I I think too, just for the sake of variety, but then certainly as a video brand, it's going to be important. And for those of you who are listening, I I did, uh, I was scrolling through the reels there on Kelly's Instagram page as well. You can always go back, of course, to Kelly's Instagram, Kelly White Photography, or come back and watch the live stream and scroll along with us. But I want to keep going, Kelly, because we have a lot to talk about. Let, let me jump to the next question, which has to do with customer service. I asked this question to almost every one of our guests, because despite seeming almost maybe like it's a cliche topic, uh, this is something that is at the root of any successful business, especially in 2021. And I don't, we don't talk about this whole lot in the podcast, but I've been in the industry long enough that, you know, when you look back 20 years, for example, the significance of customer experience was not as great then um, as it is now, where because of social media and that so-called quote unquote internet uh, of things, word gets out. If, there's, if somebody has a bad experience, word gets out very, very quickly. Word didn't spread as readily previous um, to social media and the way that people are talking, even on forums as well. So customer experience does matter. I'm curious if there's a big idea that drives the customer service that you give to your clients. Yeah, that's a great question. And you are so correct that, um, you know, in the world of the internet, nothing is like hidden or, um, you know, goes by the wayside, everything is seen. And in some ways, that's wonderful. You know, it does give you a, a lot of opportunities for exposure. But for me, when it comes to customer experience and providing the best experience possible for anyone I'm working with, whether it's photos or films or both, um, it's just really having a sense of attention to detail and trying to be the best listener that I possibly can. I think getting to know the individual, whether that's a family or a business owner that I'm working with or a couple, and really finding out kind of what is important to them and asking those right questions in order to discover perhaps what they love about their family or what makes their brand unique. I think the more you can listen to the client that you're working with, the more you can tailor the opportunity to provide great content for them. And it really helps me a lot on the film side to craft scripts for people when we're including audio. Um, And just the more I feel like I care about them as a person and get to know them, the better I think I can provide a high quality experience. Um, My background is in event management. So having that attention to detail is something that I've been kind of exposed to for a long time. I actually studied it in college. So, um, you know, it's something that I pride myself on and really try my best to treat everyone as an individual and see what they need from my customer experience. Now, if I were to play devil's advocate here, I mean, this has become a popular concept, right, in in recent years. So the idea that, that a photographer is spending time focusing on the relationship 
and putting a little bit more attention in that direction isn't necessarily unique, but I'm, I'm, what I think what can be unique is actual attention to detail. And the reason I say actual attention, and you've probably experienced this too, Kelly, like if you have a conversation, you're on the other side of somebody and you see them asking, maybe they ask you a question and they're, they're looking at you, but that look in their eyes is kind of blank and you can tell they're not actually paying attention right to the details of your response. I'm curious if there's something that you do in your interactions with clients, whether that's through a form of, you know, a questionnaire or the actual conversations in person that enables you to pay better attention to detail than the average person. Because I know I've been guilty of it too. It's easy to kind of check out and zone out. You ask a question and you go somewhere else. How do you actually pay attention to those details in a way that translates to more interesting conversation for that person? Because I know that like for me on the other side of, of, even my personal relationships, if somebody paid enough attention to something that I said and can repeat that back to me and say, oh, hey, the other day you said such and such and then ask me about it, I feel like a million bucks because most people don't take the time to do something like that. How do you do that with your clients? Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, I do feel like I try to establish a real connection. So, you know, as of 2020, a lot of that real connection has been virtual. Um, If I have the opportunity to meet, especially with a small business owner or a couple in person, um, before I would shoot a video for them or photography, I definitely do so. I I really like um, seeing people in person because I think it gives you the opportunity to read that body language. Like you can tell if someone's checking out on a certain question or Mm -hmm. seems apprehensive. Um, it's funny because I just recently took the strengths finder, um, which is kind of like a Myers-Briggs or a personality like Enneagram. And one of my categories was individualization. And it really, I think, highlights the fact that I do try to hone in on everyone's differences and what makes people unique. And I think that helps me as a storyteller. I also really try to provide very in-depth questionnaires when I send them to my families or my clients, um, trying to get out of them what makes their business special, or if it's a family, you know, what little details do you love about your children, or what are your favorite activities to do on the weekends as a family, you know, not just asking, like, how many people are in your family, and what are their ages, and where do you guys live, you know, trying to get a little bit more in-depth and real with people. Um, You know, I'm Midwest born and bred, I like to think that we're kind of down-to-earth people, and I really pride myself on trying to get to the root of who people or who their businesses are in order to get those details. I think it's important. When somebody has an experience with us as photographers or videographers, a lot of that experience has little to do with the actual photography or videography. It's how they experience us. What is it like to be on the other side of that person? This is a phrase that, that I got from uh, my friend Sean Austin, who's been on the podcast a number of times. He owns Kiss Books. And that's a question that he, as, as he has, well, continued to develop himself as an individual, as a human being, striving to be better. He asks this question, especially in the context of his relationship with his wife. What's it like to be on the other side of me? And this is something that, I, that I'm still thinking about on an ongoing basis myself. I want to get better that, at, at that with my kids, with my girlfriend, friends, family, what is it like to be on the other side of me and be cognizant of that experience? And I think part of it is that attention to detail, but actual attention to detail, right? That we're actually listening when we're having a conversation, we're paying attention because we can really make somebody feel special. Just, I mean, even the smallest thing, if we actually pay attention to it, it can make a big difference in the impression that we make on that client. So I think it's an important conversation. We could probably stay here a long time, but I want to keep going. 
And, and I want to use as kind of a segue to my next question, which has to do with time management, the background. Now, for those of you who aren't live streaming with us, you're not seeing this, but I see lots of calendar on that wall in the background. You said you're a planner, so that makes even more sense now. But I'm, I'm wondering, we talk a lot about time management here on the podcast because, frankly, I think b- business is a waste of time in a, in a way, if it gets in the way of us being able to actually have a life, right? Like if we're behind the computer all the time because we are managing our time poorly, and, and it interferes with relationships, the ability to be able to travel, to experience other parts of the world. Um, and for that matter, to do things that are going to actually make a difference in building our business, not just busy work, we have to be better time managers. Is there a particular principle that you have implemented in your job, in your job, in your, well, I guess it is a job technically in your business though, that has made a difference in how you manage your time? Yeah. So this is a great question. And despite the calendar behind me, I don't know that I'm an expert by any means, but I will (laughs) say, you know, it's funny. I usually have a bunch of sticky notes on the calendar behind me, but because I knew it might be visually distracting, I took a bunch of them down. Oh, did you really? um, Yeah. I just, I I wanted to make sure that it looked nice for everyone, but (laughs) usually there's a lot of colored sticky notes and it looks a little chaotic. And I mean, that's how my brain works is I just need to see things visually Mm -hmm. in order to map them out. But that's smart, though, because otherwise having to constantly is is it like a dry race calendar situation or no it's actually a written like you can write on it but i like the sticky notes because i can move them around if like something shifts or plans change because you know i'm a mom to a young daughter my husband's an event planner and he is really busy all the time so things are constantly shifting and that's cool given 2020 you know things can always be up in the air so um yeah but i i think that when i was thinking about this question really for me um a lot of it comes in waves. I think I have waves of being super productive and very business focused and getting a lot accomplished. Um, as a parent, I feel like I have to have kind of those waves when I have the opportunity to be, um, you know, away from my daughter or um, having that time that, you know, she's at school. So then there's also the other side of it where I have waves of trying to be really intentional with my personal time and my family time. Sure. And then Ultimately, I think the biggest thing for me has been knowing when to speak up and say, mm. I need help. I can't I can't do it all as much as my calendar would love to be able to help me do it all. Um, you know, asking people, delegating and outsourcing. Um, you know, I know that you have a question in here about those as well, but I um, have been trying as my business and my different business ventures have progressed over time to figure out where are there opportunities that I don't necessarily have to be the one doing the work. Um, And I can kind of have more of that big picture aspect to things. I think it's so important. And I mean, I'm reminded of this even in the last few days, I have the opportunity. In fact, she's probably watching or listening right now. Jill, who produces our podcast, runs digital marketing for us, also happens to be my girlfriend as well. But um, not only Jill, but, but Tanya, who heads up our customer service, and Jessica, and Tiffany, and Dylan. And we've got a massive production team and, and management and owners. Like, There's so many people involved in making Photographers Edit, my editing company, run the podcast, ultimately be a thing. And uh, I think we have some other brands that are up and coming as well. You just can't, you can't do it all on your own at the end of the day. And it's weird how a lot of people kind of hold on tight, right? That like the, the, somehow I don't know it. It's a, a hit on their ego or something if they if they give that up or they don't feel like they're working hard enough if they're doing it all, all on their own or if they're not doing it all on their own. 
I, we, the reality is we can all be better if, if we're able to, to surround ourselves with great people to create some type of a team, whether it's a virtual team, some, somebody in person, we're hiring third-party companies or otherwise. Yeah, I think it's, it's great to, to find great people to work with that we can build our business with. And I, I think really we should use this as a segue to that question about outsourcing. I mean, is there, is there a particular element of your business or elements of your business that you have experimented delegating or outsourcing to somebody else or to a different company? Yes, I have. Um, so for the most part, the things that I outsource right now are the majority of my photo editing is outsourced. Um, on occasion, depending on what the project is, um, I may edit the photos on my own. But for the most part, I feel like I've gotten my style to the point that it's consistent and something that I was able to hand off and happily so because it can be a very tedious, lengthy process. And then the other thing um, just starting this year I've gathered some help with is some of my social media scheduling and um, my blogging. So a lot of times I'll get a blog started and I have a VA who helps me to get that information finished. Um, Also like email marketing, she helps me a little bit with that. So I have tried to loosen the reins and give up some freedom. (laughs) I did also want to mention though, not only is it in business, but I think if you can find opportunities to outsource things in your personal life, it can make you a happier person. Like I've just started ordering, um, this isn't an ad, but HelloFresh, like they have, you know, the food that comes. And then I just don't have to think about what is for dinner each night. Um, so that's really nice. We sometimes have someone come and help us clean our house, which I'm so grateful for because I'm just not the best housekeeper. (laughs) So, you know, you just need to know your weaknesses and where they lie or just things that take time away from money making projects or time with your family. Yeah, I I think, again, there's an apprehension on on the part of some people, too, that that there's this like I'm being lazy if, if I'm paying somebody else or asking somebody else to do this thing. And and I think really it's just about intentional use of our time. Where are we giving that time, that effort, that energy? And, you know, I, when I, currently I'm in an apartment, but when I had a house, uh, and it wasn't that big, 24, 2,500 square foot home, but um, when I was in a home, we had somebody that would come and help clean the house. And that made, it, there was a part of me that was thinking, okay, like I should be cleaning or having, you know, teaching my kids how to, to help clean the house. And um, there's a certain amount of character that's taught through that experience, I think. But at the same time, if if I could give that over to our house cleaner and it meant that I had more time to go to the park with my kids or take them um, to go to some event or whatever it might be, that to me was more important in the scheme of things than making them do a chore or you know me vacuuming the carpet or whatever, whatever it might have been. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it was super nice to have somebody there who's doing this deep cleaning. You're like, oh my goodness, this looks amazing. <laughs> But and so it felt like a treat, but I, I feel like the intentionality behind what we delegate is what matters probably the most. And if and, and looking at the bigger picture, if we're able to delegate certain things and enable us to reach our bigger picture goals more effectively in all areas of our lives, I think that's really, really smart. So um, I'm glad that you highlight that as well. That's good stuff. Yeah, I th- I completely agree with you. And Um, I think that for me, it's just been finding the opportunities to kind of give the smaller projects away or, you know, teach someone else how I do it and then let them run with it and then have the opportunity to continue kind of growing my business because I just don't think I would have the time to invest in growing the future of my business and the different ventures that I have if I was still focused on editing every single photo that came through or, you know, 
putting together every email newsletter. So yes, it's been a blessing. And I know at first it can be a little scary, but I encourage you to jump in before you're ready. That's a great way to put it. But you highlight a couple of things here that I think are important. I just want to note really quickly before we keep moving. One is uh, the significance of understanding. You talked about delegating your editing uh, and understanding your your style before you did so. That's really important. And this, this applies not just to editing, but to really anything that you delegate to somebody else. The experience is going to be so much better if you're actually clear about what it is that you're going to ask that other person to do. And what we've seen at Photographer's Edit is that photographers will come to us to, they're like, okay, I want to experiment with outsourcing. And they've not actually, they're not actually clear about what it is that they want. And so they're not effectively able to communicate that to us. And of course our team, uh, we're really good, but we can't read minds at the end of the day. And so what we're able to deliver from poor instructions is not great. And then the assumption at that point is, oh, well, I shouldn't have done this in the first place or they don't know, they can't match my style. The reality is that we didn't get clear instructions in the first place. And again, this is not just about editing. It could be album design. It could be delegating administrative tasks like you were talking about with your VA, anything. If we're not clear about what it is that we're asking somebody else to do, the experience just isn't going to be that great. Um, So I would encourage all of our listeners, if you attempt to delegate anything, be clear about what it is that you want so that you can clearly communicate what it is that you want to the person on the other side of that conversation. Uh, I think that's really important. The other thing that you mentioned was the importance of delegation for the sake of being able to scale your business. And I realize that there may be some of our listeners who are sole proprietors who maybe they don't really, like they're good making, you know, $60,000, $70,000 a year, shooting a few weddings here and there, maybe some portrait sessions, a little bit of commercial work, whatever it might be. And they're great with that. They have no intention of scaling. And that's totally fine. But for anybody else who actually wants to grow a business long-term, to effectively scale, delegation is important. And it does free us up to do the things that will enable that kind of growth and scale. And I think that's really important that you note that too. hundred percent. I completely agree. And, um, you know, the process of kind of taking a step back from your business and thinking, okay, how do I put this email newsletter together? And, um, you know, how do I schedule my social media posts in order to communicate that to someone else does take a little bit of time, but sure. once you get a good system going, it is well worth it. And yeah, I mean, the the process of kind of growing the educational side of my business, and um, I actually just opened a studio share space here in Indianapolis. Oh, cool. There's just a few different things that I wanted to get into and wouldn't really have had the time to do so um, if I hadn't started delegating. Well, I want to ask you one more question here before we get into the conversation about adding video to a photography business. And that is about a favorite book. This could be self-help book or business book couple of them if you even want to. Um, But is there one that's made a particular impact in your life or your business in the last few years? Yeah, so this one I read, it's been a few years. So I'm sure that um, it's a popular choice for a lot of people. But I love to read. I love to read self-help along with, um, you know, fiction. And I love like murder mysteries as well. But as far as impactful business books, Um, The book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert was probably one of the most transformational in me deciding that it's okay to pursue a creative endeavor after being in a space of kind of the corporate world. I worked in nonprofits, event management, fundraising, and was a little bit scared to take the jump into doing something like photography. But the thing I love about that book, it's an analogy she talks about in one of the chapters, and I still come back to it over and over, but she talks about how 
fear can be a passenger in the car. Mm. So she gives this analogy where there's all these people in the car and fear is one of them, but fear cannot drive. Fear has to sit in the back seat. Um, But fear is going to be there. And it just is such a great way to put things in perspective and make you realize that most of the time you're going to have to do things even when you have that hesitation or that fear or that doubt. Um, You're still going to have to do it. You just can't let the fear be in charge or a lot of times those things will never get accomplished. I like that. Okay. Well, first of all, it's a cool one. Well, it's good. I want to come back to it because this is a really powerful concept. Uh, I was popping up on screen for those of you who are watching the live stream uh, or if you're listening to the audio, of course, you can always go back and watch the replay of the live stream. But uh, on Amazon, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear by Elizabeth Gilbert. And um, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well at bocapodcast.com. I want to come back to what you were saying, though, about this concept, because this very much reminds me of something I've talked about here on the podcast before from an author named Michael Singer. He wrote the book Untethered Soul. And he talks about the the thoughts, the the feelings, the so-called voice inside of our head, treating that basically as an object as well. Very similar to what Elizabeth talks about in having fear as a a passenger. The interesting thing about having fear as a passenger using that, that picture specifically is we're still in the driver's seat, right? So we get to control the direction where we're going. We get to decide that we're the pilot. The, the fear is, is maybe an accompaniment to that experience, but ultimately it's not the driver. And I think making that distinction is really important. Michael Singer talks in Untethered Soul about the significance of understanding that that voice inside our head isn't us, these feelings, these emotions, these thoughts, these are objects that we can choose how to engage with, but they aren't us. And we give in our culture these days, and I've certainly been guilty of it, but we give so much weight to those feelings and thoughts when the reality is we get to actually choose how to engage with the world at large. And those feelings and those thoughts are objects that certainly we can see, we can acknowledge, but then we can also choose to let them go as well. They don't have to drive. That's a really powerful concept. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I Another book that I've heard something similar mentioned in, I think it is um, The War of Art. And yes. I don't remember the author, but they talk about the resistance. And that to me is kind of the fear, you know, the thing that's holding you back or kind of pushing back against what you want to do. Um, and it's for me, my fear is a lot of times like the worst case scenario. So I have to remember that, you know, this is just a passenger in my car. I'm the one driving and I don't have to listen to the backseat driver all the time. So not at all. that's how I put it. Tell that thing to shut up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You mentioned um, the war of art and that is Stephen Pressfield. I've got that pulled up on here on the screen. That's it. Yeah. The war, the war of art, break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Definitely a popular book that's been mentioned here on the podcast before, but that's good. I, I like having these. I, I know that in fact, I was just mentioning this on, I think maybe the last podcast episode, but I love books and I love books so much that I have bought. I mean, I just have so many on my Kindle. I'm holding my phone up here. So many on my Kindle, some of which I haven't read yet, but there's so many different things that I want to, to learn about and to get better at. But what's really important that we can't for, and I would encourage all of our listeners who are, who are listening and watching or otherwise to not lose sight of actually applying what it is that we're reading. And, you know, whether it's on social media or a book or listening to a podcast or an audiobook, whatever it might be, it's easy to just let that kind of be noise and not do anything about it. We need to make sure to actually apply what we read, and it really can make a big impact. Um, so we'll make sure to link to those in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And just a side note as well, we've got a really kind of a fun resource, bocabookshelf.com, just like it sounds. For everybody listening in, if you want some other book recommendations, see some of the most popular recommendations on the show 
Go to bookabookshelf.com as well. Take advantage of that resource. All right. So Kelly, we need to jump into our main conversation for today. Let's talk about video and more specifically adding video to a photography business. Give us a little bit of a backstory, just kind of the brief version, if you will. How did you begin to add or decide to add video to your photography business in the first place? And, And maybe give us a little bit of a timeline. How long ago did this start? Yeah, so I um, actually came from a corporate background, as I said earlier, Um, I worked in nonprofits in a lot of like fundraising and marketing. And when I decided to take my photography business or, you know, start a photography business, it was actually we moved back to Indiana from Atlanta, Georgia at the end of 2016. Yeah. And I was like seven months pregnant. And so I decided that instead of trying to get a job very pregnant, um, I would just hop in and take my own adventure. And, um, you know, I come from a family of non or um, entrepreneurs. Okay. So I decided that, you know, this was my opportunity and a good time um, for me to jump in. And photography was where I wanted to focus. I was kind of doing it on the side for friends when we were in Atlanta, taking some classes down there. Um, and just loved the creative side of it. And with any nonprofit, you inevitably become kind of a jack of all trades. You kind of wear a lot of different hats. So I was working on some video projects, not as the videographer, but more as the liaison between the nonprofit and the creative team. Sure. And just really found a passion for like the storytelling in that aspect. Um, So when we moved and I started my business, I really wanted to set myself apart because as with any place in the country or the world, there are a lot of photographers and many of them have these, you know, wonderful customer experiences. They provide very high quality imagery. So in order to set yourself apart, you have to think outside the box, Mm -hmm. you know, find a way to be unique. So early on, I decided that video was something I wanted to do. I started my photography business in 2017. And probably by the end of that year, I had decided that I think I want to jump in. But I was a little bit intimidated because to be completely honest, there, at least at the time, there weren't a lot of women in the space. It was a mm. lot of male videographers, mm. especially in my area. And then even when I would go onto YouTube to try and find videos to learn, sometimes it was a little gear heavy and a little over my head. So... I, you know, inevitably taught myself through a lot of YouTube how to do some of these smaller projects, really just how to move my camera from Mm -hmm. photo to video mode. And within about six months, I had decided that this was going to be my thing. You know, I wanted to tell stories in this way. I started with a lot of um, families and smaller video projects with small business owners just to kind of get my feet wet and really learn if this was something that long term, I was going to be able to make successful. And, you know, ultimately, my love of storytelling, as I mentioned, and just creating impactful images was something that I felt was best conveyed through the medium of video. And, you know, I'm a huge like movie lover, and I really love reading books. And I just felt like video had the opportunity to tell stories that maybe a single frame didn't have that chance. By the way, you can't um, just, say you're a movie lover without telling us your favorite movie. My favorite. Oh, my gosh. It's just like almost too hard. To, I feel like it's constantly evolving. Yeah. So as a child, I feel like my favorite movie was The Wizard of Oz. Okay. Um, I mean, as an adult, I don't even know. Um, I will say that 
cinematography wise, one of the greatest things that I have watched recently was The mm-hmm. Queen's Gambit. Oh, um, beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful, like so well done. And some of the shots are just insane. Um, and then and, there was and by the a way, movie. The writing on that is, is pretty great, too. It's hard to find it a show is. these days that's not just so predictable. And, and the writing on that show is really, really good. It is. It's wonderful. Um, you know, I also love like romantic comedies. I'm kind of all over the place. Sure. So for me oh, to me pick too. one, it's just a little bit hard. And now I'm like on the spot. I say I'm this movie lover. And I can't <laughs> even come up with Remind more. But back it up. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I'm trying to think. I also love comedy. So like, I, you know, it's just all over the map. But anyway, I love paying attention to cinematography. Nomadland is another one that we just recently watched um, that was nominated for Academy Awards this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that cinematography is like bonkers. So it's just fun to watch and get like inspiration because while I'm not shooting movies for a living, I am creating films for business owners and families and trying to find cool ways that I can incorporate some of the things I see on the big screen or on TV into my work Um, has been just a a fun little challenge and something that really resonates with me. And yeah, I I really enjoy it. I mean, even just paying attention to the way that lighting is is handled on movies or in TV shows. That was a massive, massive, not just inspiration, but ultimately a kind of a learning curve for me or a learning opportunity for me, I should say, just observing the way that lighting was handled. Rim light in particular or backlight in particular, the way I was, I began to notice this as I was watching a TV show or a movie years ago. And that translated to the way that I was shooting as well. It was really helpful to become aware of that. And so while movies and TV shows can be entertainment, uh, they can also be really great sources of inspiration and education as well. How tough was the learning curve for you, though? I mean, I, I know that you've got kind of little bits and pieces of, vi- of background in video, but when you actually decided to go all in with it, did it take some time? What, what did that process look like? It does take some time. You know, it's not something that I feel like you can just pop up tomorrow and say, okay, now I'm offering video to my clients Um, But I will say at the same time, as a photographer, you already have a lot of the basics down. You know, you already understand exposure and white balance and focus. You just have to learn how to take all of the elements from photography and apply them to video. So there is a learning curve, I would say, um, just to kind of work it out in my mind. I know you were mentioning timeline earlier, but I started dabbling in video um, kind of on the front of thinking of adding it to my business um, during like the spring summertime. And then probably by the fall, I was doing a lot of my model calls. And then in the winter, I was really ready to add it to my business. So I think that it's something that does take some time. There is a learning curve. But if you kind of sit down, buckle down, learn the settings, how you're going to utilize your camera, um, and really kind of what you want to shoot, like, what is the goal with video if you're thinking of adding it? Are you looking to just do it for maybe your own family, which I think can be very, very valuable? Or is it something that you want to, you know, work on weddings or commercial clients? Because those are going to require like a different level of learning because you're thinking much more into learning like how to get high quality audio and make sure that um, your editing is top notch. So I think knowing your end goals kind of help you to figure out what you need to learn and focus on. But as far as just like jumping in and getting started, I do think that's something that um, anyone who's already a photographer and already understands a lot of those elements can get started right away. 
I would say, I mean, I would venture, and I'm not a videographer myself. I've dabbled a little bit here and there, just creating ad content. But it seems like editing would be one of the biggest challenges. Because as you said, you know, especially for a wedding photographer, for example, the idea of storytelling is not a new concept. But doing that with video and then actually putting that together in a way after the fact with editing seems like it would be a, a massive challenge. And I know there are different styles to, to the editing as well. It, was that a big learning curve for you? Yeah, I will say, so I, um, I think I may talk about it here in a future question, but I started out just editing in iMovie because it was something that I already had on my computer. It was free and it gave me the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, super intuitive, like a lot of drag and drop. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's a great way is like, start with something that seems pretty simple. Um, maybe a program you already have. I also tend to mention DaVinci Resolve, which is a little bit of a more robust program, but it's free. So if you're not necessarily on a Mac um, and you don't already have iMovie at your disposal, then I like to recommend that one as well. Um, yes, video editing does require some time to learn, but at the same time, you know, you took the time to learn, you know, Lightroom or Photoshop for photography. I would say the the scale is similar. Um, there's probably a few different ways you can go about it because learning how to get the footage together is probably one thing. And then the yeah. audio, when you start adding in audio, mm-hmm. it does become a little bit more complicated mm-hmm. or complex, I guess you could say. Um, but certainly doable. I'm telling you, if I can learn how to edit videos, anybody can do it. So <laughs> it's, it's doable for all of you. Well, and I'll just go ahead and take this opportunity just to mention, too, that I know that you've begun to put together an educational resource. I'm going to pop this up on screen at shelearnsvideo.com. And you you have a very good, actually, very strong brand position statement here on the site, encouraging education for female filmmakers. And um, you're, you're beginning to put together some educational content for photographers to be able to learn this craft a little bit more readily, right? Yes, I have a, uh, the website has a blog. And then I also have a YouTube channel where I've been trying to put out just content that is really focused on photographers, especially female photographers who are interested in the possibility of adding this to their business or learning this tool for, oh, well, we got audio's audio. going. <laughs> we got the audio from your YouTube channel. There. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Um, yeah, it pops right up on YouTube. Their settings are sometimes a little bit strange. But um, yeah, so I, it, and then that's been a whole nother learning curve. It's just learning how to run a YouTube channel, which I'm sure, sure you can relate. Um, and yeah, so lots and lots of content over there, lots of free content. Um, and I really just wanted to, as I said before, when I was thinking of getting into this space, there weren't a lot of female videographers and there definitely wasn't a lot of female um, education. So I think for me, it's just kind of trying to be as relatable as I can and try to explain it in a way that is like efficient and not super tech and gear heavy and overwhelming. Because I think at the beginning, that was such a... um, it, it was something that held me back for a while because I thought, oh, I don't know that I can shoot video because it just requires so much. Everyone I had sure. seen shoot it before. It was just such a big production. Mm-hmm. You know, there was so much that went into it, but it can be simple and really as simple as you want it to be um, if you're just trying to get started and just um, jumping in. Okay. Well, fair enough. We're going to uh, we'll set that aside for a second because we could probably spend multiple podcast episodes just digging into some of the, the technicalities of even getting started in video. 
we'll make sure to link to both She Learns video and, of course, your YouTube channel in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. But let's talk about, let's add some context, I guess, to this conversation, because, of course, many photographers have their hands full just running a photography business. They need some motivation to actually think, even consider adding video in. But it's an opportunity to, to ultimately grow their business. And I'm curious if you'd share a few ways that video will do just that. Yeah, so I there's so many ways that I feel like video can be impactful for your business. But the ones that I think are the most important is first and foremost, as I've said before, you're going to set yourself apart from the competition in your area. So Mm -hmm. if you feel like it's been hard to gain traction, or you just feel like there are so many photographers in your area, you know, how could you compete on price or compete on customer service? Um, Being a hybrid photo and video creative gives you such an advantage over other people in your space. And I think that I have had a lot of opportunities that have come up because I have the ability to shoot both. Okay. And then the second one is really important, especially as a business owner, but that's just diversifying your income and giving you the opportunity to make more money in a variety of ways. Um, I think that it's so crucial right now. I know I've referenced the 2020 year, but video was such a game changer for me in 2020 because it honestly is the real reason that I think my business was able to like thrive and survive a global pandemic. Um, I had a lot of opportunities that came about, especially on the um, business side of people who, as the pandemic was kind of winding down, wanted to have opportunities to um, create content for their brand and for their business to share. Um, I think some people thought 2020 was a great opportunity to kind of invest back in their business and take the time out to do these projects that maybe they were so busy running around with on a business side before Mm -hmm. that they didn't have time to stop and think about. Um, So I did have some awesome opportunities to work with creative business owners, event planners, florists, you know, a lot of people in the Indianapolis area who wanted to have videos made. And the other thing with that is not only are you going to improve your opportunity to make more income, but I think that it makes your photography better when you shoot video because you're having to get exposure and white balance have to be pretty spot on for video opposed to photo. Um, I think with photo, we just have a little bit more flexibility when we're shooting in raw. And with video, you're trying to get it about as close as you can in camera so that your post-production becomes a lot easier. You just don't have as much wiggle room as I feel like, at least myself, I did with photo. So it made my photography better and then gave me the opportunity to charge more for my photography. So diversifying your income, growing your income would be my second point. And then the third point is going to be improving your reach. So we know we talked a little bit about this earlier, but you can create more shareable social content with video. So video content, it's doing so well on social and the web. It leads to improved SEO. And ultimately, it just leads to more opportunities for traffic and exposure. You know, anytime I share a video on Facebook, if it's a wedding video, you've got, you know, tons of comments, tons Mm -hmm. of shares. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's a family film, same thing. A lot of small businesses that I create videos for, I give them a resource at the end of it to say, hey, here are the ways that you should be sharing this content because there's just so many awesome opportunities to share it and really improve your reach. Yeah, I would agree too. I mean, it, it, 
honestly a big reason, probably the biggest reason that we started doing this live stream, the video stream of the podcast was for the additional content. I hope that eventually, I mean, this we're brand new at this, so eventually we have a little bit of a crowd and we get a little bit more engagement. We've had a little bit here and there, but at the end of the day, to actually have video content to go along with the the various marketing efforts for the podcast and for Photographer's Edit in the end as well, I think is is a really big value add. And so I, I totally understand what you're saying there about having that additional... Uh, well, really, it just adds an additional stream of, of uh, or an additional opportunity, as you said, to, to reach people that maybe wouldn't be as interested in the static content, but the video content catches their attention, make a little bit more impact yeah. that way. I, I completely agree. And to kind of to go back to what you were saying about repurposing on the She Learns video side, I have found that, you know, creating the content for YouTube and then having the opportunity to take that content and make it into a blog post and take that content and make it into social, you know, graphics or um, things that I can share throughout the social media world or yeah. on my website. It's been a great way to repurpose and reuse things. And then the last point that I wanted to talk about, and I think this one kind of brings it full circle a little bit in our conversation, but I do think video allows you to better serve your clients Mm. because in a way, you know, if they're hiring you for photo and they also want a videographer, you could be that person. You could be both. They're working with just you. They don't have to necessarily hire someone else. It does depend on the project. Obviously, a lot of times with weddings, you'll have both a photographer and a videographer, But for a lot of these business projects I've been working on, it gives me the chance to serve my client well by offering both of these services. Um, The other thing in serving your clients well is that you can create informational and educational content for your clients. So for example, I wanted to say welcome videos. You know, when you bring a new client on, you could make a video to say welcome. You know, I'm so happy that you inquired with me or I'm so happy that you booked You could do video walkthroughs, which I do these a lot for galleries, especially when I have um, extended family sessions. So maybe you have like grandma and grandpa trying to navigate like how to purchase their images online or how to buy an album. Mm -hmm. Doing a video walkthrough for them is a total game changer and can also increase your revenue, you know, exponentially. Um, Increase the sales. And I use for that, I tend to utilize um, tools like Vimeo, which does a screen record or then Loom. Um, those are some tools that can, you can really easily utilize and send out to your clients. So it doesn't always have to be with your big camera, but yeah. it can uh, be with your screen. And I didn't realize Vimeo has a screen recording tool. Yeah, I've been oh, using nice. it. Um, I actually started using it a lot with my VA. Okay. Um, so yeah, it does like a screen record. And then I, I have it just up in my toolbar, like with a little bitty icons. Hmm. And I'll screen record and pop them over. It puts it in like a private folder um, okay. on Vimeo that you okay. can. So not, you know, it's not out there for everyone to see, but sure. it gives you the opportunity to share it. Yeah. that's It really does make a difference. I use a, a program. I'm on a Mac, but I use a program called ScreenFlow. And I have for years now that screen grabs. But then you can also, of course, pop up video of yourself somewhere in that and be able to send personal messages where you're explaining something on the screen to the person. And in my case, in many cases, it would be for a client or a potential client walking them through something. And just, it, it, I don't think most people are used to getting something like that where the person on the other side has gone the extra mile, taken the extra time, made the extra effort to create something that's a little bit more helpful that way. And you're right, that's, that's one additional way. It's not just about that DSLR in front of you 
additional way that you can actually use video to make a, a better client experience. This is a really great list. Super practical. I love practical. That's my goal here on the podcast. <laughs> so I really appreciate this. I was, you may have seen me looking down. I'm literally taking notes here with, with um, my notebook, but uh, so four ways then specifically that, that photographers, this, that video will enable them to grow their business. Differentiation, huge factor. Uh, diversification of income. Also, like you said, super important, especially coming off uh, the, I mean, 2020 and all that we had to deal with with the pandemic, it definitely was thought provoking. And so it's important to consider that improvement of reach. And then number four, a better client experience. This is really good. Okay. So I want to jump to, I mean, these are certainly compelling reasons. And I know, again, this, this could be like a 10 part podcast series getting into video because there's so many different moving parts, but at the very least, I want to give our listeners some steps, some starting steps, if you will, to get started. They're like, you know what? This is this makes sense. It's compelling. I've been thinking about maybe even adding video to my photography business. What do I do next? Uh, can you get us started with a few steps in that direction? Yeah, of course. This is kind of my wheelhouse. This is okay. exactly what I love to do, making it you know nice, simple, easy. This is how you get from photographer to photographer plus video. So Let's do it. the first the first thing you need to do is learn the basic gear and settings. And I will say for gear, the majority of it, you probably already have at home in your camera bag um, or somewhere in your office. And I think that occasionally the first investment that I encourage people to make is a microphone. So if you want improved audio, a lot of times I encourage people to get a shotgun microphone, which is one that just sits right on top of your camera. Yeah. Rode, Rode makes a really great one. That's um, a great, the, Rode. The, the Video Mic Pro. Yeah, the Video Mic Pro is great. I will say if you're going to invest in it, do the Mic Pro. They also have a Micro, which okay. is a little smaller yep. and cheaper, um, yep. which I bought in the beginning because, I, as I said, I was like, I really want to do video, but I'm very intimidated by the gear. So, sure. um, But when it comes to even photography and video, making the investments in like high-quality gear in the beginning just saves you so much money long term. So if I have to recommend one shotgun mic, it would be the Rode Video Mic Pro. And just for listeners who are curious, I mean, even that Video Mic Pro is only what, like 150, 200 bucks. It's still not that expensive. So no, it, it's not it's a big not. ask. Yeah, exactly. Not bad at all. Um, when you think in terms of cameras and oh, it's great. And, I've yeah. used it to shoot countless video ads at this point. Um, and yeah, I use it for a little Canon YouTube. 90D or 70D or whatever, just, and it works awesome. It makes all the difference in the world for sure. Totally. So that's usually the only investment I encourage people to make in the beginning, um, to kind of talk through the gear, you know, your camera, your lenses, um, batteries, you're going to probably need maybe an extra one because the batteries go or a little three. bit quicker. <laughs> yeah. Or three or yeah. a lot. Um, but usually if you're a photographer, you have lots of spares. So, um, you probably already have that. And then the other thing that I use for stabilizing my camera, especially when I'm shooting family films or like my own personal content is just mm -hmm. a camera strap. I like to have one that's really stretchy okay. um, and I'll wrap it around my wrist and just hold my camera out tight so that you're using kind of the back of your neck to stabilize really? the camera. So as and opposed just, to using a gimbal then, do you, have you played with a gimbal at all? Yeah. So I have a gimbal and I use it um, for weddings and sometimes okay. for corporate clients, but okay. 
In the beginning, I just don't want to, again, this is going back to when I got overwhelmed with like gear terms. I just feel like the word gimbal and stabilization, these are all things that are really new in the beginning (laughs) to a photographer. Um, So sticking with what you have. And I mean, honestly, it's one of those things that just comes back to like, I don't want to tell people to go out and invest in gear that's unnecessary for what they need. Um, But yes, I do. I love my monopod. I will say if someone's looking to invest in a high quality stabilizer other than a camera strap. Um, I tend to recommend a monopod before a gimbal just because I feel like they provide pretty consistent stabilization and give you a little bit more of like a run and gun type of thing. So if you're, you know, at a event of some sort, you can move around a little bit quicker. Whereas um, a gimbal that you're referencing, they have to be balanced beforehand Mm. and they're just a little bit more touchy. They do provide wonderful footage when you use them properly, but um, in the beginning, camera camera straps are beginning to build some, or they have been for some time. I mean, certainly stabilization for the sake of still photos how much are, is that being applied to, to video at this stage? I, I can't speak to video as much. Stabilization of still photos. So you, know, you mean like in-body? Correct. Yeah, it's been yeah. applied to still photos for, for some time now. But in-body stabilization for video, is that becoming more and more commonplace? Because, I mean, I have a GoPro Hero 9, and that thing is awesome. I mean, I'd literally yeah. just pick up the camera. It's got a little mic on the front, the stabilization built in. I don't need anything else. And I just wish <laughs> that you could do that on a pro level. It'd be so much. Yeah. A, a lot of the, um, so I just got the Canon EOS R6 in, I guess, whenever it came out, I pre-ordered it and then cool. got it in the mail, I think in September. Mm-hmm. Um, it has in-body image stabilization built into the camera body. And then if you use a lens that has image stabilization, shooting handheld, especially with that camera strap, you can make some pretty smooth moves and some okay. pretty smooth footage. Okay. Um, so, you know, again, going back to just starting basic and utilizing the gear you have, um, I think that's the way to go. But yeah, I, you know, the ability to improve stabilization and image quality, I think every year they come out with a new camera, you're going to have more and more opportunities sure. to just, you know, make that thing work for you and rather than adding in additional tools. Um, okay. So to kind of go back, I feel like we got on a tangent with the oh, gimbal. It's fine. Yeah. There's lots to talk about. Okay. So we're, we're starting um, with learning the basics of the gear and, and yep. the settings. And I mean, to that end, are you, as far as the settings in camera, are you shooting a particular file format? Um, do you recommend a particular file format for, for those who are getting started? Yeah. So, um, I tend to recommend that as far as the, um, frames per second, I think that's something that, is, you know, it's a setting that you don't necessarily have to set for um, photography. So I tend to recommend that people shoot in 24 frames per second if you're capturing any type of audio. And then personally, I like to shoot in 60 frames per second a lot just because I love to be able to slow down the footage and have that like nice dreamy look to it. Um, Yeah. yeah. So for corporate clients, a lot of times I'll shoot in 24 um, but then if I'm doing any type of like B-roll or behind the scenes, then I will shoot in 60 frames per second. Those are usually yeah. the two that I mention. Um, 30 frames per second is what like television is shot in. So if you would be doing, you know, maybe a commercial for TV, then you might want to think about that. But if you're making commercials for TV, then I'm sure you know well what you're doing um, and which frame rate to choose. But yes, yeah, settings in the beginning, you know, you want to get your exposure right. You want to make sure your white balance is set. 
I encourage people to utilize the Kelvin setting on their camera because you don't want to have it in auto white balance or mm. your videos will essentially change throughout because you have to think Ooh. of it as a video is a set of images. So mm -hmm. it's a bunch of photographs put together in order to make motion. And if you have it on the auto white balance setting, sometimes some funky things can happen throughout your film. So certainly choose a white balance. Um, and you can well, do yeah, a little bit in post, post production. But... I mean, if you have a still frame, I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but you're right. You have a still frame with an individual photo you can correct the white balance on that individual photo. And these are all running together now in video. So if the white balance shifts in the middle of whatever, you know, a shoot of whether it's 10 seconds or 10 minutes, man, now you've got all kinds of work cut out for you to go back and try to modify yeah, that. Yeah, I, oh, I don't even think brutal. I would do that. I'd just be like, this is what you're going to get. So um, manual white but balance, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, as far as having, the file format is concerned, I mean, are you shooting a particular file format? So as far as like... Um, uh, like 4K 1080, is that what you're referencing? Or like sure, MP4? Or, I mean, does Canon allow you to shoot different types of compressed file formats or lossless formats oh, or otherwise? Yep. So um, with Canon, I will say on my EOS R, it has an option for what is called All-I or IPB. Those are two different types of compression formats. Um, that is not the case with the R6. They shoot in just IPB, which is a more condensed file than the all I. Okay. Um, honestly, and I tell this to everyone that I work with, I can't tell a ton of difference between all I and IPB. Um, so with my R6, I shoot IPB and the file sizes are smaller, but the quality is still there. So, and are those, um, is that the equivalent of, of like a raw file where it gives you a complete, like it's a very um, high dynamic range file that enables you to, to apply a lot of, of change in post? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily. I think it's more of just like a compression rate. Um, and I don't want to speak like unaware because like I said before, I try to learn as much as I need to at the time. Um, and from what I know, they're just compression rates, like how compressed the files are. I have not seen any difference in the ability to edit them in post-production. So someone can definitely correct me if I'm wrong on that. But it is, um, you know, I, I kind of go with what the camera offers me. I do think if you're shooting on, you know, a Mark III or um, an EOS R and you want to shoot the larger file size, you certainly can. But I haven't seen a ton of difference um, when I'm putting them side by side or with okay. the delivery quality. For me, it's more important to pay attention to um, kind of what the color looks like in camera. And there's so many settings you can go into with that. I don't think in the beginning you need to be super, super worried about that. I think making sure you get the exposure, the white balance, um, you are shooting at the proper frame rate and shutter speed kind of correlates with that, which I talk a little bit about on um, my YouTube channel and over at She Learns Video. I reference kind of how to set up your camera. I have a few YouTube videos where I walk through my EOS R and my R6 exactly how I set them up for shooting video. Um, and then what quality file size. So if you're shooting 4K, those are going to be, you know, very ultra high definition. And then 1080p is going to be kind of the more regular high definition. Um, so those are kind of the two that I work with and the two that I would encourage anyone who's getting started to shoot in. Okay. Well, again, that's another topic we could spend multiple episodes on, I'm sure. But let's let's keep going. I know you've got a few other points to share here. Learning the basic gear and settings, uh, 
loaded topic, but that's a good first step. What's the next step? The next step is to practice. So you need to practice getting your camera over into video mode, making sure that you're comfortable with the settings that you have. Um, Practice on your family, practice on your pets, practice out, you know, in your neighborhood, just giving you the opportunity to get used to stabilizing your camera, focusing, because every camera has a different focusing system, you know, the R6 and some of the newer bodies, the autofocus is just insane, you really don't have to do a whole lot. Um, Whereas some of the older cameras, like when I shot on my Mark III, I would have to do more of a manual focus or, um, you know, focus, shoot for a few seconds, kind of recompose, focus again. So there is some learning curve on the focus side. Um, And then just taking the time to play around, learn, practice, because that's how we all started with photography. You know, so many people who have gotten into the business of photography started out just taking photos of their family or their friends. And you have that you know, you give yourself that grace in the beginning to know that like, this isn't going to be perfect. It's not going to be something that I'm necessarily putting on the internet or on YouTube, but you are practicing, you are learning. And that is a very important step that I encourage anyone who is getting started to, to take seriously. And are you, did you ever set up shoots specifically so you could practice those things? I mean, I get taking advantage maybe of shoots you already had scheduled, but whether it's with family or friends or otherwise, just to get, it it seems like that even just switching back and forth from video to photo and making that transition smoothly in the middle of a shoot, making sure you're not losing anything in the meantime, that that would be, I I mean, if I think about it now, like it seems that's nerve wracking to me. I wouldn't want to mess anything up in that process. Did, Did you spend a lot of time doing that kind of thing? Yeah, that that's probably the most common question I get from people who want to do both. Um, is how in the world do you switch back and forth or how do you format your sessions? Um, And it has come with a lot of practice. You know, I think that over time you get more comfortable shooting back and forth, um, finding a session flow that works really well for you and knowing kind of your strengths and where they lie. And like you said, find family friends or, um, you know, in the beginning I made, I took my cousin and her daughters out to the park and I made a film for them Find sessions where you're just going to focus on video, get those skills really strong, and then find ways that you can work both in. Um, The other thing that I have encouraged people is if you're too intimidated by the thought of switching back and forth, you could always carry two camera bodies. I know a lot of photographers do this anyway, you know, with some Mm. of the straps they have, like a hold fast. Um, Or you could put one around your neck and that could be your camera for video because you have that ability to tighten the strap and... Um, use that as your stabilizer. Sometimes when I um, shoot both, I will have a video camera on a monopod. Well, I mean, I say video camera, but a camera set for video on a monopod. (laughs) And then it's the same camera. Um, And then a camera that is ready for photography. So just having your settings ready to go on both. And then you really don't have to think about it. You just pick up the one that you need at that moment. um, And it's ready to shoot for that format. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it just kind of goes back to practicing. I can't say it enough that in the beginning, and I another one of my points um, mentions model calls, but those are super important. You know, before you go out and you start charging people, you just want to make sure this is something that you're confident with and you're um, ready to go. But at the same time, don't let the fear, as I said before, hold you back from trying. At some point, yeah. I mean, at some point, you've got to take that step. Anybody who shot their first wedding or a portrait session, whatever it is, we all know what it feels like to kind of take that step out and, and not exactly know what's going to happen. But 
you take make the time to, to study and prep ahead of time and, and then go into it. At some point, you've got to take that leap. And sitting around obsessing over that leap forever and ever is not going to get any of us anywhere. So you're right. We have to just we have to step out, make the move. I think that's a good reminder. Um, I we, we've we've surpassed the, the hour mark here. So I want to make sure I respect your time. Maybe a couple more steps. And then I know that you mentioned to me, I think before we started recording today, that there's actually a, a set of 10 steps for those who are getting started in video that you're going to share where we can find on, on your website. But maybe just two or three more if, really quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. So um, the next step that, so the first one was basic gear and settings, then practice. Um, finding an editing software and learning how to use it is my third step. Because in order to add this to your business or really to have it be something that is useful for you, you have to know how to put the films together. I also think that learning how to edit your footage makes you a better shooter. So yeah. once you go back and see like, oh, I didn't get, you know, any B-roll or I kind of forgot to shoot more of that scene, um, you'll know that over time, the more and more you edit your films together. So I don't think that it has to be something where you go out and invest in, um, you know, Premiere Pro, which is Adobe's like professional software. Sure. Uh, but it can be iMovie, it can be DaVinci Resolve, you know, start with something that's free and learn a little bit about it. Um, iMovie is super, as we said before, intuitive. It's kind of drag and drop, um, makes it super simple. I do have, I, I had a course that I launched a little bit earlier in the year and I'm probably going to relaunch it later this year, but I go through a full edit in iMovie just so oh, you can cool. see um, beginning to end how I would do it. And as I said, that's really how I got started. So um, make it simple. Yeah, I, and then, I, I would agree. I, Premiere Pro, I've just, and I think I probably just need to take the time to actually get in and, and play with a little bit. Honestly, until at least until recently, anyway, I look at the interface and it looks like something designed for Windows 1998 or, or something like that. The, the user interface just isn't pretty. And I so I use Final Cut Pro, which is like two or three steps up above iMovie, the same kind of user ease of use and user friendliness, drag and drop. Um, and, and I really enjoy it. It's, it's very intuitive and, and it looks pretty. I like things that look pretty. So even my software, I would like my software to look pretty. <laughs> but, no, I'm totally, I totally understand. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those that I think a lot of times you just go with what you learned. Like I learned, I learned how to edit video in Premiere Pro after, okay. after iMovie, I decided that's what I was going to invest in. Sure. And I was already pretty familiar with all the Adobe products, but yeah, I mean, they, there's a lot of bells and whistles in those professional level softwares. Um, so just finding something that works for you. Sure. And I encourage people to start start free. The other one that um, I recently learned about, um, I don't know, maybe six months ago was Premiere Rush. So it's yeah. like a smaller version of Premiere Pro. So yep. that might be another one you, you check out as well. Absolutely. Um, then the fourth one is going to be do some model calls. So you're practicing on, you know, hopefully friends, family, close acquaintances, but now it's time to, you know, get out there and work with some clients. And I encourage people to do model calls with maybe families who are already photographer clients of you or, you know, families, couples, whatever you work with, um, ask them if you can have the opportunity to shoot a little video for them. Or maybe if you're already doing photos for them, ask if like at the end of the session, you can maybe add on 15, 20 minutes and shoot a little bit of video. Um, and then from there, just continue to build your portfolio 
and share your work. So as I said before, there are those 10 steps and these are all included in the 10 steps, but I go into a little bit more depth on each one um, in how you can kind of go from point A to point B in order to start adding video to your photography business. Okay, cool. So yeah, and, and I appreciate you being willing to share that with our listeners too, because we, I mean, this is such a loaded topic and despite the fact that we've gone l- longer than normal, we've only kind of barely scratched the surface. So where can our listeners find that information? And we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes as well. Yeah, so um, over at shelearnsvideo.com, Um, I have lots of resources there. If you join our email newsletter, there is um, a few different freebies I have that are included there. Lots of free content on the YouTube channel, which is, again, just She Learns Video on YouTube. Um, And we have a Facebook group. So that's been nice to see um, filmmakers who are getting started with video throwing their videos out there for others to take a look at or asking questions about what gear to use. Um, It's been a nice little community that I'm hoping will grow over time. And I just want to continue to encourage people to get out there and give video a try. I'm not trying to make things complicated. I'm trying to make it as approachable and easy because I just am super passionate about sharing, um, you know, all these stories that you can make through film. And yeah, um, yeah, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, you can find me at Kelly White Photography over on Instagram. And that's Kelly with an I. Um, you know, my parents had to make my name a little bit different, <laughs> so um, they they added that I on there. But and Kelly um, White yeah, and then, um, it, dot com, of course, your website. We also mentioned shelearnsvideo.com, which we'll link to. We'll link to all these in the show notes. That that down the, the download with the ten steps is that something that they can get signing up for your newsletter, or how can they get that specifically? Correct. Yep. Just okay. drop your email in there, and it will um, send you to a page, and you can download it. Perfect. Shelearnsvideo.com. Well, this has been really nice. I mean, I, I appreciate you making time. In fact, I, I especially appreciate your effort at making things simple. Uh, because you know, the reality is, as we already alluded to, this is a layered conversation. We could spend hours and hours and hours. And, and the technicality of it is, may even be a little bit overwhelming to some. But, but the reality is, the, I guess the ability to get started doesn't require all the options, all the features. I think about learning Photoshop, for example. There's, I get overwhelmed at the idea of trying to learn that software as a whole, but I can get in there and use it quite well just using a few of the functions and very much get my job done. And I think video probably is largely the same way. I like that you're trying to make it more approachable. And for photographers who are wanting to add to their business, to grow their business, maybe generate a bit of extra revenue, this is a great way to get started. So I, I really do appreciate you making it more approachable for myself, for our listeners as well. And we'll make sure to link to all these resources in the show notes. But I really appreciate your time today, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me.